This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the Untold Story Podcast, everybody. I'm super excited today because I have Kat Timpf joining me, and she has just written her first book, which is such an exciting milestone for any of us. And um, her book is called You Can't Joke About That, Why Everything is Funny, Nothing is Sacred, and We're All in This Together. She is swinging a microphone and sitting on a coffin. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Kat. How Hi. are you? I'm great. I thank you so much for having me on. Well, I'm really excited about you. You know, I feel like everywhere I go now everyone goes oh I love Cat Timp I love oh. and um, I'm like yeah her office is next to mine yeah. but we have very different schedules yes. so we don't overlap all that much um, but it's great to be with you and I always try to start these podcasts is it's called the untold story mm-hmm. and I try to stick to that I'd love for you to tell us in the beginning of the book you kind of talk about the lean days yeah <laughs> and um, <laughs> I think that it would be great for people to hear a little bit about your beginnings in the business and what it was like for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was an intern actually at Fox News right out of college. And I write about this in my book that the plan... went to Hillsdale. Yes, I went to Hillsdale. And so I had a fellowship where they would, you know, offer housing for two months, but then there was two weeks left in the internship. My plan as a 21-year-old was I was going to use the housing stipend. And then for the last two weeks of my internship, I was going to move in with my college boyfriend for just two weeks. And then we were going to break up and I was going to move to New York City to go to Columbia because I had gotten accepted to Columbia. I was already enrolled. Didn't work out that way. I realized I didn't want to take out an $80,000 loan to go to journalism school. Mm Because if you look at what an entry level journalism salary is, I was like, how is that ever going to be paid back? So I basically non-consensually moved in with the guy. And he's now one of my really great friends, actually. He was at my wedding, and there's only 30 people at my wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, we broke up. He dumped me, and it was pretty hard. He was the only person that I knew there. Mm-hmm. and But I, I was determined to stay and continue to learn broadcasting stuff through internships and waiting tables to make money. And I lived in a very bad apartment. I didn't really know anybody except the people I met at the restaurants I was working at. And I started doing a lot of stand-up comedy. And I would just talk about my dumpster fire disaster life on stage and I found that making people laugh and finding ways to joke about it gave me power over this stuff that was making me feel so powerless and also it was a means of connection for me really during the one of the loneliest if not the loneliest time of my life it's so interesting and you know when you talk about um your inspiration for stand-up right and Mm -hmm. you you say you quit stand-up three times I think you know when I was really young I did theater and yeah. so I and I loved it can you sing uh, a little see I'm whore I'm tone deaf I mean I couldn't sing enough to actually make a career out of it but, um, <laughs> but I do like to sing in yeah. fact someone recently asked me you know like if you had any dream job besides what you do what would it be I'd say like I would have this incredible voice and I would yeah. sing but not the reality so who you know who was inspiring you when it came to stand up like who did you grow up kind of loving listening to and watching um, I've always been a huge 
a huge, huge fan of Joan Rivers. Mm-hmm. And that's why I dedicated my book to um, my cat and her. It's actually to Cheens, Timp, and Joan Rivers, neither of whom can read this. Because um, my cat, from be- the beginning to the end, I mean, to, he's still alive now. I was and, just going to say, yeah, your cat's not dead, too. He's I not dead, think. too. No, he's <laughs> almost 13 and he has medical issues, but they're all managed with medication. And like my husband calls him like the $30,000 dumpster cat, <laughs> which he has insurance. But we, if not, like we probably would be close right. <laughs> at this point. But um, I think that she is amazing because she had a really hard life. And I was always inspired by her insistence on joking about that stuff. Um, Like she joked about her husband's suicide. She would joke about the Holocaust. And she said, I don't joke about these things despite the fact that they're traumatic. I do it because they are. Um, Norm MacDonald is another amazing hero of mine because he loved to bomb. Like the more that he felt like he shouldn't be saying something, the more that he felt it was important to say something and not forget to make it funny. Um, So I think those two for sure. I also, I really was a theater kid too, which is why I asked, but I couldn't sing. So that was my problem. And I really started to love to make people laugh. And so I just started doing stand up and I did it a few, like twice in college, but I didn't dive into it till I really needed it when I was in LA. And I really didn't need it at that time. So, you know, what was that like for you standing up there and talking about the things that were hard in your life and and making fun of them. Because one of the themes in the book that I really like is just sort of, because we all go through really stressful times and Mm -hmm. I'm not good at laughing during them. I get kind of like, like frozen. Yeah. (laughs) And um, how do you do that? You know, how do you, how do you find the ability to laugh when, for example, you talk about your mom's death and I went through a similar experience. Um, how did you find, and your mom was funny. She yeah. was funny when she yes. was dying, which yeah. I loved that part of the book. Yeah. I think that that's definitely part of it, that my mom was funny as she was dying and she knew she was dying. My mom also was very Catholic and I'm not, and I used to be, and I write about that too, that I hope to be religious someday. I'm not at this point in my life. So I think that was part of where her strength came from. And she was like, I'm going to heaven. I don't care. She was like, I'm worried about you guys. I actually didn't tell this story in the book, but she did make all of us go to confession before she died. When she got last right, she was like, I'm not worried about me. I want them to all go. Mm -hmm. And so they turned a little off empty office into a confessional and me and my brother and my sister and my dad all went to confession. Um, But I think that that was part of it for sure. I also think that it's, you know, the way to make something really powerful is to treat it as if it's untouchable and if you act like it's untouchable and you don't let yourself go there because I think you can go there if you don't let yourself go there then you're giving it even more power Mm -hmm. than it already has and it already has so much power I mean you know it's I can't even believe this but it's you know November will be nine years since my mom died and I remember those first couple years I didn't know how to talk about it at all especially because I was young so most people just assumed that my mom was alive right and I when when I had to say she died and people got weird around me, I would I would feel really uncomfortable because you feel like you brought the vibe in the room down. And so I just started saying, it's okay you didn't kill her. And then we have a laugh. And then it's good because it's like I already knew she was dead before that this came up in conversation. Like it's it's not like it's any worse because you brought it up. Right. And 
I, I think that overall, people who, you know, these standards of speech, you have to be sensitive about certain things. I think it can really hurt the people going through these things because anybody who's experienced a loss, I mean, I'm, you, you, I'm certainly you know what I'm talking about, where you feel like almost people can't have a real conversation with you, where you can see them be afraid to say the wrong thing. And it's like, there's nothing you can say to make it better anyway. And right. what I'm going through right now is way worse than anything you could possibly say to me. So don't worry about it. You know, mm-hmm. whatever you say, it's not going to be right. So don't worry about it. Yeah. And because I felt like these traumatic times could be not just traumatic, but they added a layer of isolation because all of a sudden people were treating me differently and they were treating me weird. And I found that making jokes about it could make that easier. Do you feel like, you know, I'm just curious about what you just yeah. said about faith because yeah. you say you, you would like to. Yeah, I don't mind asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's go interesting. for it. Um, so do you feel like your mom is in heaven and do you feel like you have a connection with her still? That's crazy uh, that you asked that. So in general, no, right? In general, I... I'm not an atheist. I'm agnostic. I just feel like I just don't know. And I don't know how anybody does know. Um, and I, I think it was really hard when she died. Cause I was like, I really wish she would just like talk to me because she really wanted me to be Catholic. We had the exact same personality. My mother and I, she was exactly like me, literally even the same deep voice, everything. Mm-hmm. The only thing we, that we would ever have a disagreement about was religion. And that was tough on our relationship, but also I understand if that's your belief and then you would want that for your daughter. And I get that. Um, But I did when the Pope was here in New York. I remember tweeting something about how I am not really Catholic anymore, but I think my mom, because she had just sort of died fairly recently, Mm -hmm. I was like, I think she really would want me to go if the Pope was in New York. And um, Catherine Jean Lopez from National Review, I don't know if Mm -hmm. you know her, Mm -hmm. she reached out to me and she took me to see the Pope. And I started sobbing when I was there. And I don't really know why I was sobbing, because again, I'm not Catholic anymore. So I... That's the one moment where I felt like maybe and um, it's just really hard to say and I I really hope that I can figure it out at some point but I'm just honest about the fact that I'm not there right now. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Was that at Madison Square Garden? Yeah, that was at the when when, when, I forget what year that was, but I I was there too. Um, I went out to go to the mass. You were there too. That's funny. It was before I worked at. It was very hot day, and we had to wait on enormous lines. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if you had tickets, you had to wait on these long lines that wrapped around the blocks, and um, so yeah, it was moving. And it's interesting to hear, you know, your your thoughts on on that. So your mom didn't really get to see your success right now, and you have this book um, that's so interesting and so funny. I laughed out loud. It's really Thank great. You. I'm going to share it with my son who's interested in stand-up. <laughs> I said, you can have it as soon as I'm done. Um, what about that? What about her not being able to see this? You were successful. You've been successful a long time, but even oh, more so now. I, I mean, no, it's so hard because she saw me struggle. <laughs> and she saw me, I mean, when she died, I was living in East Harlem in New York in a like, really bad apartment. Like There was a triple murder outside of her building. Like Really bad, really yeah. dangerous. But I was getting guest spots on Fox when she was still alive. And I remember I did one maybe a day before she died, an afternoon show. And I don't remember what the show was. That time was a blur in my life. But I was like, I'm in Boston. My mom's dying. I'm at the hospital. And I was like, I don't really think I want to go. And she's like, you should go. Mm -hmm. She's like in her bed. She's like, I don't want to die thinking that you ever didn't do something because you ended up having a dead mom and everybody else doesn't. And I was like, okay. (laughs) You're right. She's just like you. Yeah, she is. (laughs) She really, her personality exactly the same yeah um and so I did it and I, I kind of carried that with me being like okay and I, I I I you know I 
I write about this in, in the very beginning of my book about how I went through six months where my mom died, then my grandma died, then the guy I thought I was going to marry broke up with me in front of my dad at Coney Island. And then I got my, after that, like, absurd breakup, I got my job here like three days after that. So it was really crazy how it all worked out. I wish all the time that I could talk to her about this and be like, see all this stuff I wanted to do? Like, it's it's crazy. Like, it worked. And to a specific specific extent i mean i in college i used to say i want to work with greg gutfeld <laughs> really yeah so and i didn't tell him that till years after yeah, he hired so we me. don't want to tell him things like that <laughs> i didn't tell him that till like years down the line that uh you know my dream was like to be on red eye and i write about that in the book where my cat's father i, I refer to him that the guy that broke up with me that other guy that broke up with me when i was in la where i was we were watching tv at his brother's house and red eye was on and then because it was la's on and i was like i'd be so good on that show and his brother was like you're a cashier at boston market <laughs> and he had a point right like i think that you know the pipeline of boston market cashier to fox news i think i'm the only one so i get it but it's just crazy how it all worked out and I, <laughs> I do really well, wish, i worked you know, at fosteria on the upper yeah, west side yeah, yeah. and alan's seafood cafe on second avenue and 62nd um, so I, I can relate. Yeah. I can relate to that. I remember my grandfather used to say to me, you know, he'd watch people on the news and anchoring or reporting on location. And he used to always say to me, you know, you should do that. Yeah. I was like, you can't just do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can't just say how my grandfather thinks I'd be really awesome at yeah. this. But it is interesting how life works, right? Yeah. And um, when you have a dream and you um, just sort of slowly, steadily do things to make it work and you succeed, it's a great feeling. And i I, I know I'm sure your mother is looking down on you and I'm sure she's amazingly proud of, of everything that you're doing now, Kat. The Untold Story continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So was she amazingly proud when you were at Barstool doing spring break hits? In, uh... Oh, no, yeah, she was, yeah, she'd already died at that point. My dad, though, was like, what is this thing that you're doing? I went to Cancun. You're like, never mind, no one watches it. I was like, dad, yeah. No, it, it's really funny, of course. I just watched one of them. Well, um, yeah, when I worked at Barstool, uh, it was a way smaller operation. Yeah. It was me and one, the guy who's like Dave's like right hand man so he's not doing this anymore certainly but he he just was had a camera and obviously the audio quality is terrible on the spring break video but it's really funny because I had never went it to spring funny. I never went to spring break I when I was either. in college like, ever so I went and back now it makes me really glad I didn't oh my I gosh videos. yeah I, I was like this this is insane and I'm not like easily like I'm not like a scandalizable person but I was like what what like uh, and they were so willing they wanted to be on camera yeah I, I mean they were all drunk yeah I know but still like I <laughs> <laughs> I've been drunk, but at least when I'm like when I have been, I'm always like I'm not gonna post this. Like I'm not gonna right. be on the camera. But they were all about it. Um, my dad's my biggest supporter, you know, and it's been amazing. He he That's always great. he went to go. He really wanted to see my book in a bookstore, so he went all around three different stores in the Detroit area on Tuesday or the day it came out. And he was like, it's sold out. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so that's amazing. He, I think that both of us are having still a difficult time kind of processing it. Yeah. Uh, I've kind of broken down into tears at random times throughout yeah. the day, you know, throughout the week, really. I mean, I looked at my cat, actually, when I hit number one on Amazon and I just started crying. And I was like, 
We did it jeans, like we did it Joe, but jeans. I like this cat was with me through every single thing I write about in this book, and he is you know, a feral dumpster animal. He has no redeeming qualities. He's not a nice cat. He is to me. He sleeps under my chin every single night. But if my husband tries to like, you know, hold me at night, my cat will bite him. Like, <laughs> like you're new. Like that's He's my like, spot. Like first. get out. Exactly. So I just, it, I just think about when I had him when he was a sick little kitten and I was a cashier and like how amazing this is. Like, I feel like I can't really even fully process it all the time. So I just cry at random intervals throughout the day. Good for you. Good for you. You know what? Um, it's good to, uh, it's something that I feel like a lot of people who are very hard driven um, mm. as we are, don't stop and say, yeah. this is great. You know yeah. what I mean? Like just for two seconds, appreciate the achievement, you know, and when you see your yourself on, on the cover of the book yeah. and your name on it, it's like, it, and you worked on it. This isn't something like someone, you know, it's not some thing someone wrote for you. It's right. your voice through the mm-hmm. entire thing. And um, so that's a wonderful feeling and you should definitely celebrate it. You know, but but it's not like you came out of, you know, nowhere. Like you had, you were writing for the National Review. Right. I just looked at some pieces that you wrote in the National Review and you were writing in 2020 about issues with regard to parent parental control over students at home, right? That yeah. they shouldn't have the authority. This Harvard professor said that, you know, parents should not have authority over their children 24-7. Yeah. It's just a dangerous thing. And I thought, wow, that is it's still such a huge issue, even bigger issue now, parental control over, over our kids and say, I don't really like the word control, but yeah. that gets used a lot. But, you know, it's just that you have the agency to want to raise them the way that you want them to be raised. You only get them for a really short time. You know, they're gone, you know, yeah. and they turn into adults quickly. I can attest to that. But you're very bright. You went to Hillsdale. What was your major at Hillsdale? English. 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 And I had a speech minor. And I I had a, f- a full tuition scholarship at Hillsdale, which is part of the reason why I went there. But I also love that they didn't accept any government funding. Yeah. And then for National Review, I'll never forget this because I don't, when you think of National Review, you probably don't really think of someone like me. When you think about it, um, I'm a libertarian. I'm not a Republican, right? I had three interviews with Jack Fowler and, and Rich Lowry, and they eventually gave me like the three-month trial period. And I ended up doing very well there. But um, I have such a strong, I mean, I have so much gratitude for them because I also started working there in July and then my mom ended up dying that same November and I didn't want to tell them. Mm-hmm. Actually, I should have written about it. I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to tell them because they just hired me and I don't want to make it weird. Like, hey, my mom's dying. And, you know, I remember I was like, I'm just going to tell them that she's sick. And I had called a meeting with them and I didn't like, I didn't know them that well. I'd worked there for a few months and I just started sobbing, like the kind of crying where you can't like speak. And they were so nice. And they were trying so hard to do things for me, but I didn't want them to. Right. And so I was taking the bus back and forth to Boston where my mom was being treated. And she was only, she was, after she was finally diagnosed with this rare disease, she only lived for three weeks. But I, I remember the bus broke down when I was coming back and I had like a meltdown, right? Like I was like on the side of the road and my boyfriend at the time, was there and then when we got back on the bus somebody like wouldn't let us sit next to each other and I was like what is your life like my mom and that was the day that she had gone to the ICU Mm -hmm. and then this girl was like and like I sat there and I came into work and I was like sorry I'm late and I told the whole story and after that Rich his wife she had just put 
a bunch of Amtrak points to my name. So like they were like, you don't, you're not taking the bus anymore and you don't oh, have a choice. And they so were like, kind. so they're yeah. so kind. And I can't say enough good things about National Review and, and Rich and Jack and all those people. But I did write, I mean, this book, I've been writing about speech issues and, mm-hmm. and different things for about, you know, more than 10 years now. And something my husband said to me was a lot of the stuff that you wrote about years ago is bigger news now. And he's like, Kat, you need to talk about it still because yeah. I feel like you feel like just because you already said this years ago, you're, you're already bored of it already and you've moved on. And right, he's like, but you right. need to like, that makes you more, more important or you, you're, you're more knowledgeable about it that you have been following it. I'm like, okay, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's funny that you brought it up because that's yeah. exactly what my husband says to me all the time. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I guess one of the things that I worry about is that there's so many things that feel like they're just completely coming off the rails yeah. in the world mm-hmm. and in the country. And I have three kids who are in their early 20s and it's, um, you know, you just sort of wonder about it. So I guess, uh, you know, in closing, I would ask, how do you find a sense of humor about how disjointed and bad things seem to feel in the country and around the world right now and the future. <laughs> yeah, for me... Go, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a great question. But for me, it's just totally flipped. The only way that I can survive when everything is so bad is because I'm laughing at it. I don't know how else I would deal with it because I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I feel like th- th- there's all this stuff, you know, there's the different news stories every day. We're all playing, paying very close attention, but it's also like, okay, what's going to happen to the dollar? Like, right. are we going to be in World War III? Like stuff, I, I do think about that stuff, yeah. but you have to laugh at it. And I also think that that's why I love working on the Gutfeld show too. I think that when you do make jokes about stuff, not everybody's going to agree with you about what you have to say. Not everyone's going to be interested in any given topic, but everybody likes to laugh. And if you can make something funny, they might actually listen. And I write in my book about the research of that backs it up. People remember more. They pay attention more when there's a joke um, or satire when it comes to politics or to news stories. And the most important thing to me is that we don't lose you know, the ability to do that, that people aren't becoming too afraid of getting canceled or whatever, that they stop trying. I think as long as it's well-intentioned, then there has to be an allowance for that because that's the only way that we're all going to be able to get through this. Yeah. I mean, I think about growing up watching, you know, Carol Burnett and Joan Rivers and as a family, you know, we used to sit around and just belly laugh, right? Like everybody in the room. Yeah. And you talk about the connection that you find doing stand up and, and now doing the work that you're doing now. So I feel like we've all become so disconnected from yeah, each other. I agree. You know, we don't sit around and watch TV shows anymore. Someone no. said to me yesterday that they were watching something on TV and then their son was sitting next to them on the couch watching the same thing on his phone. Yeah. He likes to watch it on his phone. So, you know, what's your hope for just uh, helping people who read the book, you know, learn to kind of connect over all of this? Yes. So I, I really think that look, I had to make some choices when I wrote this and I decided to put it, put it all out there, uh, including things that were traumatic, things that are embarrassing, things that are humiliating, things that are disgusting in order to show people that it's possible and to show people how I was healing through humor throughout this. Cause a lot of the jokes that are in the book are things that I was saying and, you know, at the time I was going through them, you know, and showing people that it's possible to heal within yourself, but also with those around you by making mm-hmm. jokes, because I think that now there's this tendency to um, to say, OK, you said this thing I disagree with, therefore you're irrede- irredeemable to me. Mm-hmm. And that is really doing yourself a disservice because maybe you and that person have something else in common. Maybe you you and your 
parents have the same illness or maybe you guys both like this weird sport that no one likes. There's so many things that you can have in common and all of us are unique individuals and nobody's a clone of anybody else. And I really hope that when people read this, I don't just write about why it's important. I actually show and not just tell. I mean, I'm not afraid to make jokes about anything in my book, including literally some of the most traumatic things that I've been through. And I I hope that people can sort of learn from that and they can learn to laugh at their own pain and learn to also, you know, be open to hearing from other people and not being so quick to judge other people and write them off. Kat Tim, Fox News contributor. Of course, she's on the Gutfeld Show every night. And her new book is called Cat Tim, You Can't Joke About That. Thank you so much, Kat. Thank you Congratulations. So much already me. number one on Thank Amazon. You. It's going to be an enormous seller. And it's really a wonderful read. So I'm so enjoying it. So Thank thanks you for so, talking I with I me today, I love that Kat. you're reading it. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review for more podcasts. Podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.